Hello and welcome everyone to the latest edition of the ALS Association Greater Philadelphia Chapter Podcast. I'm your host, Tony Heil, here at the chapter doing communications and public policy work. And if you've listened to our podcast before, you know we have a whole host of topics and using host to give it two different meanings in one sentence. Uh, But we have had podcasts with people with ALS, caregivers, researchers, legislators, uh, people who are sponsors, all have different perspectives. And our chapter has a lot of different perspectives in our most important department here at the ALS Association, and that is our care services department. If you go back into our archives, you can find a podcast with some of our social workers like Ann Cooney and Melissa Call and Janie Eskovitz. And you can also find with our nurses like Sue Walsh, or Wendy Barnes talking about in-home care. Uh, But today we have a very special podcast with our Director of Care Services, Steve Spaulding. And I I apologize that the first word I stumble on is Steve, which is an easy word. Uh, But Steve is going to give us an overview of his background, what he does here in Care Services, and some of the topics you may be looking forward to learning about here in 2018. Before we get into our conversation, I want to recommend to all of you to visit our website, www.alsphiladelphia.org, to find out how you can donate, volunteer, advocate, get involved, or and follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and uh, maybe a couple other things here and there, all at ALS Philadelphia, all one word, to share your stories and get involved. So, without further ado, Steve, welcome to our podcast. Thank you, Tony. Appreciate it. And it's been a few months since you've been here, so let this be the podcast welcoming to our chapter. So, Steve, you started with us in July of 2017? Correct. And what was your background a little bit before you came to the ALS Association family? Well, before I came here to the chapter, um, I worked for about 20 years or so in healthcare, Mm -hmm. and specifically working with chronic care, end-of-life issues, and um, um, uh, serious illness. So I worked with patients, clinics, families, did a lot of direct clinical care and work and managing teams that treated folks in hospital settings as well as outpatient settings. And that's, so you've met with lots of different people who've had various kinds of chronic illnesses. Mm -hmm. So you understand how, you understood before this, maybe not how ALS affects a family, but how those kind of diseases can affect not just the person, but the entire family. Yeah, my, my background um, was broad enough to give me really an experience of many different um, illnesses and the challenges that come with each one, including ALS. Mm-hmm. But this is the first time in my career I've had the opportunity to focus in on helping folks uh, specifically with ALS and bring hopefully all that experience and, uh, and uh, learning to, to hear and uh, to the service of our patients and families and individuals uh, that are trying to pursue the best quality of life. So as you said, you knew about ALS, you've had some interaction with ALS before, and now in this role here at the chapter, you can really focus on this one disease and all of the aspects of that. Um, what's your feelings on that? Is that something you really like that you can dig in and make sure to support families all on one thing and you can really get all around one topic as opposed to being in 10 different places at once. 
Um, I, I really enjoy it. Having been here since uh, July and now into February, I've had enough time um, under my feet to, to really get a sense of the mission and a sense of the needs. And obviously, as you said, my department is, is involved directly with helping to provide that. The whole chapter is, but we have the privilege of being able to be really engaged directly with that care and support um, that folks uh, need from us. And so it's exciting for me to be involved in that and on this level and to, to help um, not only carry forward a great legacy, but build on that mm -hmm. and take advantage of all the, the new things that are coming along and opportunities to do things better and serve people in new and better ways. And you mentioned the mission. So I would hear, what does the ALS Association mission and message mean to you as someone who is newer to the ALS Association, but not new, too new now because now you've met all of our families, you've, not all of them, you've met our families, you've been to our clinics and whatnot. Yeah. Well, I think, um, you know, uh, as you said, I've, I've gotten a pretty good sense of it and it's, it's always a learning curve, but mm -hmm. I can tell you what I know today is that uh, the mission of, of my department and the mission of our chapter is really uh, to, to serve those who, are, who have ALS their families, their caregivers, those who love and support them, and at the same time to pursue, obviously, the research for a cure. So those are, that's our, our twofold mission, and there's a lot built around that. But um, specifically where I come in and where I focus my efforts a lot, of course, is in the care and support of those with ALS and their families and caregivers. And so, you know, uh, the mission for me is, of course, what it has always been. But what I hope to do as we carry it forward is not only to continue to be able to provide all the great services we have for many, many years, but to build on those services. And I think there's great opportunities to do that, not only in terms of the number of services we provide, but also in terms of how we provide them. There's mm -hmm. new technologies, there's new opportunities in the way we deliver services to people that people themselves are becoming aware of and want, you know, and have heard about. Um, and if they haven't, we hope to be able to introduce them to those new opportunities, as well as uh, build partnerships and collaborations with all those providing ALS services in our chapter area. Um, one of the big, you spoke of mission, and one of the big things that I want to build on is it has always been the mission of our chapter to serve all those with ALS in our, in our community, in our chapter footprint. But I think, you know, sometimes... Um, we want folks to know that we partner with some great clinics in our region that provide great care, but we partner with all clinics in our region, and we want to be a support to all folks with ALS, whatever clinic they may go to. And if you don't go to a clinic, if you don't choose to go to a clinic, we still want to support you. Mm -hmm. We'll encourage you to go to a clinic because we feel that you're going to get the best possible care, but if for whatever reason you make the choice you don't, we respect that, and we still want to be there to support you and support you in whatever place you go to, um, while at the same time working with our partners um, who do great work in those clinics and help them to, to produce really great outcomes for the families and, and the patients. Yeah, I've noticed from my years here, from knowing the care services team, and we'll do a little bit of background on them in a minute, but... Everyone I've met with that does care services with our chapter, whether they go to a cl our clinics or not, when they meet someone with ALS that they don't know, the first thing they think is, well, 
how do I connect you to what you need? How can I help you? It's not, oh, well, why aren't you using our thing? Like, it's not about pride. There is pride, but it's more about what can I do right now? It seems to be a, it seems to be a real sense of urgency amongst the care services team here to make sure that when they meet someone that has ALS, they're getting all of the services that they can get. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And I appreciate you saying so. You know, we, we are blessed with a great team, um, some very talented professionals, but most of all, some very dedicated professionals who for years have been providing great care. And some of, uh, some of them very new, like myself, who have come on board and producing great care for people now. And one of the things that I think they do, as you said, is they don't delineate. Uh, if they're working with a partner clinic, great, and we want to we want to provide every level of service we could possibly provide. And if they're working with another clinic, another provider, a community neurologist, we still want to provide and support them, and we do every day. And you know, we're very we're thrilled about the opportunity that we have every day. I come in here; those opportunities knock on my door, literally or figuratively, um, to do that to do that work. And uh, it's exciting, and and it's great. Well, we're going to talk a minute in a minute about all of the people that are part of the care services team, and to learn more about that team and how you can get involved, again, visit alsphiladelphia.org. Uh, we're going a brief introduction and overview here, but you can learn more about those programs and about the people behind them on our website. Uh, so you, you manage a team. How large is the care services team, and what kind of roles do they have? I don't need you to give, like, so-and-so does this, 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 but... How right. big is a team and, and what kind of roles do they encompass? Well, we have a lot of uh, social workers. Mm -hmm. uh, we have nurses that work with us. We have assistive technology specialists who are folks, if you don't know, that uh, provide support to the technology that supports our patients. You know, the power wheelchairs, the communication technology, the, the assistive supportive technology to help them function. Um, we have folks that manage our in-home services. Um, and manage uh, the the ramping and the stair glides and uh, every area of our programming has specialty and support to it. Uh, and as I said, many of them are nurses and social workers, as well as mental health services. We have folks that provide that as well, so that people who, for obvious reasons, struggle sometimes with the illness, either the, the individual themselves and or their family member, or caregiver, uh, we we try to reach out and support them, or we're here for them if they reach out to us. And whatever that need is, whether it's a physical need, a medical need, an emotional need, uh, we try to be available to them. And you know that if you have someone like Gail Hausman, who's a nurse, while she's incredible, she doesn't do anything on her own, right? No one here does anything on their own. They have, there's a team approach mm -hmm. at the clinic and beyond, correct? And how it, does that work? It is, and I, I'm glad you asked about that because, you know, in healthcare, a lot of people have heard about the interdisciplinary approach, the team approach to mm -hmm. care. Which is a big word. It's a big word, um, but it's been put out there on poster boards mm -hmm. and, you know, everybody's heard about it. But I'll bet you uh, if you took a, a survey, not a lot of folks could share with you experiences where that really happened in real life when they went to their healthcare provider. And that's unfortunate. Some could but a lot could not. And we can say with, with great confidence that when folks go to clinics, ALS clinics, or they come to work with us in their homes and in the community, uh, they encounter an interdisciplinary team, which means it's a group of people with different skills, 
who come to the table and help them with all their different needs to the best ability we can. Obviously, we can't always meet every conceivable need um, that a person has, but we have many programs, we have a lot of resources, and we try to bring all that to bear uh, to be of assistance to the greatest extent we can be. Mm -hmm. And like you said, they Gail might say, here's who you talk to for this, here's who you talk to for that. So everyone works together. You've had a great experience in healthcare before here. Um, would you say that this is the most interdisciplinary, like the, the, the best team approach that we have here? And it's always getting better too, but do you, you don't see this at the same level everywhere else. I know I don't for other diseases and locations. That's correct. Um, you don't see it. And having worked in healthcare, I, I can speak from experience that that's true. Um, you know, I was fortunate to work with some folks that had pretty good team processes in mm -hmm. place. I know what that looks like. I know how to, how to build that and how to manage it, um, which is part of what gets me excited being here and being part of the same kind of concept. Um, but I can certainly say that in, in comparison, uh, we have excellent uh, teams here. Our clinics have excellent teams. And, um, and most of all, our patients and families benefit from that concept and have the ability to tap into that and get different types of support. So if you go to a clinic and you need respiratory support, you can get respiratory support. If you need nutritional support, you can get nutritional support. If you need physical therapy or speech therapy evaluations, you can get that. Mm -hmm. You know, um, you can get emotional support. Um, there are very few places in the world you can go to and get all those things in one place. And very few organizations you can go to from home or in the community like our chapter where they can help you in all those different ways. Um, and even if they were to call me, for instance, or one of my staff, and that's not the specific individual for their need, we, they can refer them to someone who is. Yeah, that's a that's a big deal that the people know all those things. I know from talking to like Wendy Barnes, who's here today, so one of our social workers, she'll be talking to Gail about someone they both know and say, I, I noticed this, do you know that, can you help that person? They So they can uh, all use their own strengths and contacts to help somebody. Um, but you just said the heart of the chapter and the heart of your work is the clinics. Where, what, if you're a person with ALS and you want to go to an ALS association clinic in our territory, where would they be going? Well, you know, we, we partner... This is uh, where we can list our clinics. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, we partner with uh, some great partners. We're fortunate to partner with Jefferson mm -hmm. um, Hospital in Center City. And as many know, many hearers know, it's, they, they enjoy an excellent reputation as an institution. And their, ASL, their ALS clinic is top-notch as well. Mm -hmm. uh, they do an excellent job. They have a very strong interdisciplinary approach. You go there, you get very hands-on, personalized, compassionate care, um, and you meet everybody you need. Um, and then there's the follow-up, and they coordinate uh, almost seamlessly with our chapter in terms of follow-up to home. So clinic to home, home to clinic. And that, that, that process, that model is replicated um, in a lot of our partner uh, clinics. So we'll, we'll hopscotch over to another uh, wonderful institution where we also support an ALS clinic, and that's the Hershey Medical Center in central Pennsylvania. And those folks um, also enjoy an excellent reputation. Our ALS clinic there is top-notch. And again, our chapter is integrated with the clinic, 
And so the clinic provides great care. When you go home, you get the support of the chapter and we bring you back to the clinic and you have that full circle of, mm -hmm. of care and support that is so reassuring to people. You know, there's nothing worse when you're dealing with illness of any type, certainly an illness like ALS, where um, you feel alone and you don't feel like you have support right. and, you're, and you're, you're flying solo. So you, to those listening right now, I think of all the things that could be consoling and supportive, it's to hear that you have the opportunity to have something um, there for you that you can reach out to whenever you need to and get and get the help and support. And it's not a one-timer. They're there the whole time. Yeah, and people go to that clinic three or four times a year oftentimes, right? They go every few months on a regular mm -hmm. basis. So we are in Philadelphia, uh, we support the Jefferson Clinic at Jefferson uh, University Hospital. Uh, and then there's... Um, Hershey Medical Center, and then Lehigh uh, Valley. Yeah, and then to, to, again, hopscotch to other regions. So we have Lehigh Valley Hospital, mm -hmm. um, another excellent institution, and we have a clinic there that runs really, really well and does a wonderful job. With Dr. Mackin. Correct. Who Dr. you're going to convince to do a podcast with me this year. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And he's a, he's a wonderful physician and very committed to, to the families he's taken care of for many years. Um, and then we hopscotch over to New Jersey, and we have a partner at uh, Meridian um, Jersey Shore Medical Center in Neptune, New Jersey, and Dr. Mary Sedaris there. And again, uh, the same model, uh, the same great care. We also partner with an organization called Dancy, which uh, uh, some of our listeners may be familiar with, who supports um, the very localized uh, community of folks with ALS in central New Jersey. And uh, uh, we are very strongly partnered with them, and we work together collaboratively to, to help uh, support the folks in central New Jersey and then southern New Jersey. And then down in Delaware, um, we, we support the folks in the Wilmington area as well as all the way down through the peninsula. And speaking of peninsula, we have an ALS clinic that we partner with at Peninsula Medical Center mm -hmm. um, who support the folks um, down on the peninsula side of Delaware. And uh, they do a great job there, and we help to really build that up and give them the resources they need to be able to support folks who, you know, would have quite a distance trip to get to hospitals in some of the bigger urban areas. Um, so this, there's a broad swath of what we try to reach out and do for folks. And then there's the Geisinger system. Exactly. Don't and want to forget that. up there. Yeah, that's a lot. Um, that's a big hop. It is. It's a big hop. But, you know, all of this is our chapter. Right. Um, and... You know, when we talk about Geisinger specifically, we're talking about Wilkesboro and Danville. And those areas, again, are have their own unique communities, are a distance from some bigger urban areas. And so it's really important for them to have the opportunity to have good, solid clinics that they can go to and get good care and get a good model of care and support, uh, both in the clinic as well as at home. And, and that model is carried out there as well. And for people who are listening, this might be the first time learning about these clinics, you can find their contact information on our website, alsphiladelphia.org. And we have a lot of newly diagnosed people every month, which is unfortunate. We don't, I don't know if, it, I mean, it is unfortunate because you don't want anyone to have ALS, but you do want them to have their diagnosis if they have ALS so they can come to get our services and get the support they need. Um, but you would rather that they go and if they have questions, go to a medical professional like Dr. Simmons at Hershey or Dr. Rokosevic at Jefferson or Dr. Sedaris at Meridian 
not to name drop everybody, but that's sure, uh, so you would recommend as a director of care services, find your clinic, get the support you need and talk to those professionals about the services that are available and get the real medical advice, not just going onto Google. Absolutely. And in, in, in our, uh, in our experience, um, that's the best possible model for folks. Having said that, I understand that, that some people don't have uh, the options or, or feel that they're not able to get to clinic. And, and we work with those folks, too, and we support them, and we'll do everything we can to, to give them resources. The other thing to mention at this time, since we're talking about resources, is, you know, rather than just Google anything, I do encourage people, and many of our listeners may already be aware of this, to go to our website. And uh, you mentioned it earlier in the podcast. Um, there's a lot of specific care service resources on there for people. Uh, it talks about early diagnosis. It talks about symptom management. It talks about just understanding the disease process. And also, uh, what can I anticipate? What do I need to do? Let me understand this better. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of content in there that can be really helpful to people as they try to learn from a, um, from a, a reliable source what the disease process is really all about and how you deal with it and to the best of your ability. Yeah, there's a good starting point on our website and that lists some of our services, for example, um, and that you can run them down like the Abrams program and whatnot. I don't want to take your credit. But, <laughs> so what, what services does your team help to deliver? You mentioned that what the, they do, but there's the Howard I. Abrams at Home Care program. Yeah. And so there's we, other programs that we have that other chapters don't even have, much less other disease organizations. Yeah, that's right. Um, and as you mentioned, the in-home program is really, really um, a, a stellar and amazing program because we provide hours of support for families who need in-home services. And when you become disabled um, to the point where you need care at home, um, that becomes really, really critical. It allows caregivers to get the support they need to stay at home, um, sometimes to be able to just take care of basic uh, needs every day. Uh, some folks are working and need that support. And either we can, you know, we try to augment the services that, that they have from elsewhere, or we may be their service if they have no other services in terms of in-home. Uh, we provide uh, the uh, ramping, which allows people to get in and out of their home. You know, when you're no longer mobile and you rely on a power wheelchair, um, and even if you're no longer mobile and you're just in a standard wheelchair, you're no longer really in, in any easy way able to get in and out of the home with mm -hmm. even one or two steps. So ramping becomes critical. So we provide ramping uh, to people um, either sharing the cost with them or absorbing all the costs when, when they're not able to, to afford it um, so that they have the ability to get in and out of their house. You know, um, We try to provide opportunities for them to uh, identify um, uh, vans so that they can purchase uh, you know, the equipment they need to, to be able to become mobile in terms of driving. Um, and we provide a van service um, to a limited degree um, here in the Philadelphia area that, that allows us to provide some support to folks so that at least um, they have the ability to get around when they can. Um, we also provide uh, stair glides so that people can get up and down at least early in this disease process that can be helpful to certain people in their home to get uh, up and down. Um, and then we have a lot of other interesting programs where um, we provide a lot of uh, program support, resources, um, support groups, 
um, uh, visiting volunteers who are individuals who oftentimes have experienced ALS themselves with a family member, spouse, mm -hmm. or loved one who um, later uh, offer to come in and visit with people and just be a, an emotional and friendly support to people. So all of these things um, really become important for many people. And people don't even know what services they would need because most people when they have ALS have no idea what ALS was, right? Mm -hmm. right. It's not a disease that usually there, – there is a familial aspect – but most people didn't have it in their family history. Correct. So yeah. uh, my grandfather had ALS, and I think what I learned is you don't know what you don't know. So people like our social workers are there to let you know what you don't know, what's available. Correct. Yeah. So you're not, and that's a good point, Tony, that, uh, you know, it's not just about uh, here's what we have and good luck and, you know, read our pamphlet. Um, there's people to talk to. Mm -hmm. You don't call our chapter and and get a you know a 300 um uh list of push number one push number two push number three and then you know this automated message tells you what you need to know and there's nobody to talk to if you don't reach somebody here and you leave a voicemail we call you back you know and nine times out of ten you reach somebody and and we talk to you so there's a person who can help you and work through your specific issues because you know uh, with this illness and with a lot of illnesses it there's very few things that fit into one neat little box it's usually something a little different a little out of the box requires another person on the other end of the line to talk it through and figure out how to uh, best help well we're always looking at new ways to help people we're always looking at ways to improve our care or at least your department is so 2018 it's hard to believe that 2018. I think last year was hard to believe it was 2017, so that happens every year. But yes. um, what are some of the ways that you're looking, your department's looking to improve or add um, new ways of care in this year that people might be interested in learning about in future podcasts or in future communications? What 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 do you see on the horizon in the near term for our chapter services? Sure, sure. Well, you know, one of the things, of course, and some of our listeners may have some experience with this and some may not, but, you know, one of the exciting things uh, that's come along in the last two years and is rapidly developing is the ability to take things that many people are very familiar with and turn them into assistive devices. So, for instance, an iPad or an iPhone or, you know, uh, uh, you know, any other type of um, uh, smartphone. These uh, devices, which are pretty common nowadays, are now developing um, technologies that can help people with disabilities and can help folks with ALS with their disabilities. And we have an assistive technology specialist, Elisa, as well as a whole host of, of uh, knowledge and consultants and support to help people understand how they can tap that for themselves, get them set up, um, help maintain it, and, and, and use that. We also have assistive technology that may not be as readily available um, as part of our own uh, little loaner closet um, that we loan out to people. Um, and if we don't have it, we work with families to try to figure out how they can get access to it, either mm -hmm. through their insurer or through other grants or supports. Um, sometimes veterans have special um, resources that we try to help them tap. And because they, veterans are twice as likely to be diagnosed with ALS 
exactly we don't mention it enough like because you can never mention it enough yeah yeah so those all of those things are really really important so that's a growing field the whole Mm -hmm. assistive technology piece and the fact that it's it's gone from big specialized equipment that used to be available only through one provider and you had you didn't even know what it was what to call it to things that people are familiar with but they just need to know how to access the technology and so our assistive technology specialists work with families to help them understand hey as a matter of fact let me show you how you can access that and get that set up for you so you can use it Um, and for those things where there is a very specific piece of technology we do that too Mm -hmm. Um, our loaner closet has been for years loaning uh, power wheelchairs to folks while they either await their own power wheelchair or maybe they'll they'll never be able to qualify to purchase one for themselves because they are extremely expensive. And one of the things we do is we try to outfit those power wheelchairs, personalize them so that the person is very comfortable, but also so that it can retrofit all of that assistive technology so people can have the ability to communicate and connect. And these things are not new per se, but the technology looks different. And it's smaller and it's lighter and it's more accessible. And it that is new. Right. Um, and so it's something pretty exciting and, and, and important for people. And we're very excited about that. And as you know, and we don't need to go into detail because we're uh, trying to get more information here, but that technology getting smaller and lighter and easier to use is not just good for the person with ALS, but it's just as good, if not more important, for the caregiver helping them. Because those wheelchairs are hard to handle. If it's someone who can help that, if it can help that caregiver, that's a big difference. Absolutely, yeah, it just makes a huge difference for people when when it's less complicated and it's more familiar and more user friendly. Um, it's one less headache, one less burden right. for the caregiver, and of course, the individual with ALS themselves feels better that their caregiver, who might be their spouse or their family member or, or even just a professional that they love and work with, it helps them to, to feel like life is easier and that they care as much about them as they do themselves in many cases. Yeah. Um, the other really exciting piece is with our resource and support groups. You mm-hmm. know, the traditional support group of folks going to a location and get, getting together usually in a decent-sized room and talking and supporting each other has always been a critical and important concept and something that has helped generations of people get through difficult times. Caregivers supporting one another, um, individuals with ALS themselves supporting one another. Um, And we do offer those. We have offered those for years, and and we continue to offer those, and, and it's great. At the same time, There's so many new opportunities today to do things differently and offer opportunities for people to connect in ways they couldn't before. One of the things that's really challenging is we have a lot of individuals later in their illness that mobility is really a challenge. It's a three-hour process of getting somebody out the door and bringing them back home and then the transport in between and having to have somebody stay with them during a group. And some folks make that trek and they want to make it and, and more power to them. But we want to offer the opportunity for people to attend a support group from home. Mm -hmm. And so we are developing remote groups where people can attend a group uh, without ever leaving their house. Um, And folks who don't have the ability to communicate very well or at all 
um, except perhaps through typing, will have the ability to communicate and engage in a support group remotely. Um, one of the really exciting things that we're working on, just as an example, is a uh, yoga group that we're developing um, that's going to be offered through a Facebook platform. Uh, many of our listeners are very familiar with Facebook. It's mm -hmm. a very user-friendly platform. I've heard of it. Yeah, we've heard of it. It's been around a little bit. And, uh, and yoga and mindfulness, which is a type of meditation that's often used in tandem with yoga, has really been proven to be very, very helpful to people who deal with illness and chronic illness um, or just emotional challenges. And a lot of people think of yoga as something for those who are very physically, you know, healthy and can move a lot. Um, but that is not true. There's something called adaptive yoga, which is for folks that really have very little movement and, um, and don't have the ability to do a lot. And it can really be a very freeing, really great positive experience for them. And it's come. It's really crossed the whole country and much of the world. This this concept has proven to be a huge benefit to people's quality of life, and so we want to offer it here. And one of the exciting things we're developing is a yoga um, remote group, where those with it with ALS and their families or caregivers uh, can attend through Facebook and get the opportunity to participate in live sessions um, with moderators who, who conduct a group. They'll be able to visually see it and engage in it. And then in the off times when there's not a live group, they'll be able to see a recording of somebody doing yoga, um, adaptive mm -hmm. yoga, and it could be the middle of the night for them. And they could sit there and watch that and, and help, help them to do that for themselves or do it together with their spouse or, or a family member or, or a group. So uh, that's just one example of some really, really exciting new ways to take an old concept and, and broaden it and build on it so that people have more options and, and more opportunities to be supported in all the different settings. And like you pointed out, that's, you're, you're able to do those programs because of a team approach with people like Elisa doing, helping with the future of assistive technology, a layer with uh, the different groups online and resource groups. Uh, so there's a lot of positive things uh, in the future for care services. And for the people who are listening, uh, we're going to have some follow-up podcasts to this, talking about, in, in short snippets, the people in charge of those departments or those new things, like Alaire, like Wendy Barnes, like um, Elisa, to talk about the future of these programs and questions you may have about them. So please be looking for those. Um, we're at our time today. Um, but thank you, Steve, for giving an overview of our departments. Is there anything else that we want to quickly uh, let people know about where they can go for resources or help? Uh, no, I just to say thank you for the opportunity to speak with everyone. Um, I've met a lot of folks. I'm looking forward to meeting more. And uh, always feel free to reach out to me. Um, I love to hear good feedback. And I love to hear new feedback about things we can do better. So I offer that. I always offer that to folks, and and uh, we'll we'll keep folks posted on the these exciting new developments as they broaden. And I'm excited to have our staff uh, speak through the podcast to uh, to everybody out there and to hear from each of their perspectives some of the things they do to kind of help make a difference every day.
Yeah, I agree with you. It's, it's good to get not just the good feedback, which is nice, but mm-hmm. when someone says, I wish that the chapter did that, it's great to hear that because now we know something we can do better. Absolutely. Yeah. And so you please get in touch with us. Our contact information is all www.alsphiladelphia.org. That's how you can find some of the resources that Steve just mentioned. Also, how you can donate, how you can sign up for an event, uh, or learn about volunteering and advocacy opportunities. Thank you all for listening, and look for us on future podcasts and subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, We're looking forward to working to fight ALS together. Thank you, Steve. Thank you.